Hi, welcome to the Best Life, Best Death podcast. I'm Diane Hullett, and today I'm here with a special guest, Jean Zimmerman. Jean and I met through a mutual friend, and um, I think his story is just one that's really powerful in terms of a journey through grief and a journey into healing when he lost his wife some years back. Uh, welcome, Jean. Thanks, Diane. Nice to be with you. So Gene is a businessman uh, turned surprise poet. And I think, you know, he found his way into the power of language through this experience of grief. You can find out more about Gene's book on a website called snowcapconsulting.com. And Gene, the book that he ultimately wrote is called Searching for Clarity. Tell us, Gene, how this kind of even came about that you found yourself writing poems. I typically, um, in my past, had not studied poetry or really had been exposed to it too much. But when my uh, late wife's illness, uh, which which ended up going for five years, uh, came about, there's you know I was uh, in the home video industry, something that we used to have called video stores, um, which was a which was a great time frame. But uh, right at the end of that industry, um, she became ill, and as I became her care giver and then um, basically uh, as she transitioned on the last two years into needing full-time care you know I became her full-time advocate and companion and um, she had a tumor in her spinal cord so there was a lot of unknown we never knew what was going to happen or when and as the signals travel up the spinal cord going to the brain or from the brain down through the spinal cord the signals don't go around the tumor, they just don't go. So it starts to shut down different body functions and capabilities. And so it was in the fourth year of, of that situation that, that sort of the uh, amount of pressure that, that was pushing, just kind of pushed the poetry out of me, which was something that was unexpected and uh, something that I continued to, to follow and became a great relief in terms of being able to express how things were feeling, where things were going, and to, you know, spend more reflective time instead of just complete stress time or, you know, just a, and there's so much of a negative aspect that can happen when you're dealing with death, when you're dealing with uh, the overwhelming emotion that comes with a lot of things that are not in your control anymore. So, so this became a very positive way to uh, spend time with that to start to understand what was happening, what was probably going to happen and, and deal with it from there. Yeah. It's like in the midst of this terrible diagnosis that didn't have a clear structure or path to it. Like you were just waiting constantly for the next, um, loss in how her body was working. Right. Then you found this really kind of creative way to, keep moving for yourself in, in a way that I think was kind of a surprise to you. As you said, you weren't a poet in the past. Right. So it was Jean, a complete surprise. Gene's yeah. going to read um, three of his poems for us um, on the podcast today. And I don't know, is there any more background you want to give Gene before reading the first one? I think that pretty much sets the narrative. And uh, so I can, uh, I can start with the first poem in and it, I think the first poem feeds right into what we were just talking about. It's, it's titled uh, Death's Door. And essentially, it's, it's 
really about noticing things are changed. Things, things are beyond our control now. And uh, so here it is, death's door. One day as I strode by, death's dark door cracked open. I didn't like what I saw or felt. For now in my life, it dwelt. Wait, this can't be. She will get better. You'll see. If only this were in the cards. Once the door opens, the tracking begins. Not that it came often, but visits were made. Invitations to visit the door. Hard to put off and ignore. As hope begins to sink, there is no way but to realize life will never again get to be a happy, long-living reality. Beautiful. So that really speaks to sort of uh, coming to terms. How, how long after her diagnosis was that? The, that I wrote this poem? I didn't start writing uh, poetry until four years after her diagnosis. So I would say it was probably about four and a half years. That is when I wrote that. Yeah. And that seems like that's such a big piece of, um, you know, this kind of an experience is the coming to terms. And it's not like a one-time event, right? It's like a right. coming to terms over and over and each day and each um, loss of a different kind of piece of the body not working. Right. It's, uh, it's such a uh, different experience. And I've had friends that have had sudden deaths happen to them. And a sudden death is so totally opposite of the five-year illness and then death that my late wife went through. Because in the period of the five years, you do have time to learn to come to grips with grief, to recognize what loss will be. Um, and in a sudden death, it's just so overwhelming because you've had no time to prepare. prepare. You've had no idea it was going to happen. And then suddenly it's the person is gone. And, uh, right. Both extremely hard, but in some ways the slower is more preparation for those who live on more right. time to, to be with that truth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What other, what other ways did you kind of find yourself coping with that, with that unknown? You talked about the unknown of this illness being such a, such a difficult part of it. Right. And that, Truly, um, th besides the writing, it was literally a lot of walking, um, searching out nature, you know, living in a city, you know, you have a limited access to nature, but, uh, but parks, um, quiet spaces helped a lot, you know, just being, being outdoors when you sequester inside you, you were in such a shutdown type mode. And being outside, hearing kids laughing, hearing birds sing, feeling the sun on your face, the breeze uh, makes such a difference. Such a difference. Yeah. Not to be not to be underestimated at all. Right. I think it's interesting, too, that that this creative piece, um, you know, comes through for people in different ways. And I think we are so language based that sometimes for people it is writing, whether that's poetry or narratives or a journal or uh, I know one friend with breast cancer kept a, a book that was almost like a rage journal. I mean, it's this incredible art piece because it's 
drawings and scribbles and collages and journal writing. And the whole book itself is like this three-dimensional, um, you know, piece that held her experience of that time when she was going through chemo and radiation in a way that I think nothing else kind of held it for her. It was right. like people couldn't meet her the way her own creativity could meet her. Right. And what a great outpouring instead of holding that in. And I think that's one of the biggest difficulties is how you hold something in, which is not typically healthy versus how do you let it out? What do you, right. what do you use to look at it with? Yeah. Right, right. Like what's, what can we, what, what, how, how, what can we use to help ourselves um, almost like integrate or um, process this experience we're going through? And honestly, actually, I just said rage journal. I don't know, this friend might call it a gratitude journal, right? Because right. it's so intertwined. Right. And she could alternately, you know, use them back yeah. and forth. It may one not be page. just one thing, you know, yeah, exactly. depending on what time she's looking at it. Yeah. So. Does the second poem seem to fit here? I think it does because the second poem now speaks to certainly, you know, we just talked about writing as a creative aspect, uh, being out in nature as being a calming aspect. Uh, but, you know, certainly one of the biggest aspects in, in a death or a situation where, where you're really struggling and overwhelmed is the reach out and help that family and friends give. And this poem really speaks to uh, someone who recognized what was going on. And the name of the poem is You Knew. I don't suppose you will ever know how deep and far I've fallen. There was no asking or telling, but you knew I wasn't quite right. As the weeks, months, and years mounted, your constant presence and concern counted. Days where I wasn't together or connected, you gave precious relief and introspection. So much continual confusion and complexity, it just won't stop. It keeps getting worse. Worn to the point of ragged, Nerves are worked until completely broken. Staggering through the days, stumbling and falling. My biggest job was to get up to face another day. Made much more possible by your kindness and caring. Beautiful, yeah. How, mu how much we're social animals and how difficult it is sometimes to reach out. When you're in the middle of grief, you almost need other people to reach towards. And I, I talk to friends sometimes who say, you know, I just don't know what to say. And I always feel like, well, just say anything. Like right. just, just a kindness of saying, I'm here for you it is, is the right thing. It doesn't have to be more than that. Yeah, there is an awkwardness uh, that happens. And, you know, you find different reactions to this level of, of uh, physical challenge or uh, the death overall in that that some people you would expect are, would completely be there, maybe aren't. And some people you would never expect to be there, maybe are. But, uh, but the awkwardness was something that, you know, I've talked with people because I've felt it myself with other people and people felt it in my late wife's situation. And then it truly is exactly what you said. It's just, don't get into that mind game, you know, just, just, to just talk, just say, you know, even though, how are you is kind of a, 
that's not really the, the way to launch into one of those conversations, but, um, but it is, it is just, don't make it more complicated. Just. Yeah. Don't make it more complicated. Show up for people. Yeah. Yeah. In whatever small or large ways you can. I, I also sometimes have heard people say just the consistency of showing up can be important. It isn't always that um, the friend or the family member can be there with constancy, um, right. but just not dropping off the planet when six more months have gone by, two more years have gone by. In your case, five years, it's a long time. Right. I think there's also something about couples, isn't there? Like when you're, when you're a longtime couple and you have friends who are longtime couples, it's, I've, I've heard it say people almost react like it's contagious. Like they don't know quite what to do when the couple is no longer a couple. Right. That's painful. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of different aspects where, you know, people will say, what can we do? Well, when you're really in the throes of this kind of challenge, you have no idea what can they do. It's not like it's top of mind. To, oh, could you rake my leaves or, oh, could you make a meal or, oh, my dog needs its hair trimmed or, you know, any number of a million things that probably could be helpful, but you're just not in that. You're not in the ability to. To delegate to, and to kind to of be organized and act as the manager. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. What, yeah do you, so, what do you suggest then? Well, what I found most helpful was, and same point would be probably most hard for me to actually come up with, but I did see it be really effective was where people just did something. They just saw something that was like the lawn was too long. So they just mowed it, you know, something like that, you know, right. It, it, uh, it, while it is helpful, it's hard for people in the throes of this to figure out what needs to be done and, and tell somebody, this is what I need. Yeah. So kind of maybe, maybe you would say, don't, don't hang back and wait for the direction from the grieving or the, right. um, the person in the thick of it, just sort of pitch in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And be patient with the awkwardness. It yeah. is awkward. It's awkward on both sides. That's yeah. okay. You know? Yeah. It doesn't yeah, have to be as in the title. It doesn't have to have clarity. <laughs> yeah. You're searching for clarity. Right. It doesn't have yeah. to have clarity. Right. Beautiful. What, what else would you say about how, this creativity, this act of writing poetry moved you through this experience? It gave me a, it gave me such a different space to be in one that I, I didn't know how to anticipate or it showed up and I was moved to do it. So it took away the, rather than having large stretches of time where I just, I didn't want to listen to music. I didn't want to watch TV. I didn't, I've just done a walk or, you know, it gave me in periods of, of sort of silence and time, it filled that. And then it started to, you know, I started to really feel better, feel like, wow, this is something I want to continue to be um, doing and I want to grow it. So it's really something to, it's something to, um, there's something powerful about expressing something and moving it. Um, like I, I feel it like I'm, I'm seeing sense right now is like this metaphor of like a river, you know, it's like you, you don't want to be stuck in an eddy, even with such right. a difficult circumstance, you want to, right. you want to find a way to move with it, whatever that movement is for you, whatever way that comes through, whether it's 
conversation or nature or creativity and whatever you're moved to do helps to move and integrate and keep healing through this really difficult experience. Right. Because in this, what I really came to find, I was living at death in this with my late wife. I wasn't living a life because we weren't doing things that when you're alive, you do. We were doing things that, that shut down, pull back. You're out of the flow, sort of to your river analogy. Uh, when you're in the flow with family and friends and kids, you're, you're active, you're connective. And when you're in this kind of disease level, you're not. You're trying to survive. And, and that whole survivability mentality is a whole lot different than living. Yeah, so. yeah. Why don't you read us the final poem? that you've chosen. Gene, um, Gene and I talked about, you know, that he'd find a few poems to share. And so. Yeah. And this is the final poem in the book and it speaks to the, the poems in this particular book go up into my wife's passing, but don't go beyond it. So this is the final poem and it really is a reflective piece. So it's called a different place. You helped me to a different place beyond where I could ever go on my own and alone. Doesn't mean it was all smoothness and light. Overall though, priceless is the right word. Extensions of life unlocked and opened up. I would never give back or redo. The life mystery of why am I here seemed to get filled out. While not completely finished, that part needed to be there. I will never forget you. And who knows when I may join you? No one has a schedule of time left. What to put in it. Thank you so much, Jean, for sharing your heart and your poetry with us today. I'm Diane Hullett, and you can find out more about the work I do at bestlifebestdeath.com. And again, Jean Zimmerman sharing from his book, Searching for Clarity. Thanks, Jean. Thank you, Diane. <laughs>